Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But they didn't want to stay there because the house was built in the wrong direction. And I remember the first morning they were having breakfast in the kitchen and there in the corner was this shelf. I said, what's that, Jack? He said, well, that's the God shelf. <laughs> I said, no, the little gods are there. Those are the family idols. And teraphim were typically were family idols, and they were ornately decorated usually, and they were consulted for direction and guidance in life. And teraphim, they probably resembled human forms, you don't know, but, but Michal, David's wife, she put a teraphim in the bed, in David's bed, and then pulled the covers up over it and said, well, David's sleeping, to trick Saul's messengers into thinking that David was in bed. The king of Babylon... He consulted Teraphim for advice. We're told that in Ezekiel 21.21. Ezekiel 21.21 says, For the king of Babylon stood at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He made his arrows bright. He consulted with images, Teraphim. He looked in the liver. I don't know what that means, but anyway, all this is some sort of hocus-pocus superstition stuff. So these household Teraphim images were a continual problem for Israel, because they represented the idolatrous, ungodly life that Abraham walked out of. Abraham, lech lecha, he says, go walk, walk, walk you. He, he walked out of all of that in Syria. But these teraphim were strange gods. They were a continual problem in Israel. They were a continual problem for Jacob. And this is just where we're getting the first glimpse of it here. And he seems to have tolerated them for several years until finally enough was enough and there was a showdown when he finally commanded his house in Genesis 35.2. Genesis 35.2, Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean, change your garments. See, that was enough is enough in the showdown. And those strange gods were a continual problem for Joshua until he had his time of enough is enough and his showdown when he said to Israel in Joshua 24, 2, Joshua 24, 2, Joshua said unto all the people, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then Joshua 24, 14, Joshua 24, 14, a little bit farther down the same chapter, now therefore, Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So these teraphim images were strange gods. They were idols. And how does God view idolatry? Well, he says in Romans 1.23, Romans 1.23, God says, let me tell you how I see idolatry. I see it as they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like unto corruptible men and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. What does that mean when it says that idolatry is changing the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things? Well, what it means is something, a picture, an analogy, right? An analogy. Picture a man who's a very good husband, very good provider for his wife. He's taken care of all of her needs, and he is a really good husband. And he goes away on a trip alone. And while he's gone, his wife goes out, and she gets some clay, and she makes a model of a spider. (laughs) And she tells everyone, this is what her husband looks like, the spider, right? And imagine how shocked and angry he is when he comes home and he sees that and sees what she said. That's idolatry. That's what idolatry is. Romans 1.23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, and creepy things. Idolatry changes a person's view of God from incorruptible and sinless to corruptible or sinful. See? And in Romans 1.23, we also see how in idolatry, there's always a progression downward. There's always a progression downward, and that's what you see there. First man, then birds, then four-footed beast, then spiders, <laughs> creeping things. Idolatry always has a progressive downward view of God. So that's what idolatry, that's what these images were. Now, why did Rachel steal the images? Why did she do that? Why did she do that? Yeah. What drove Rachel to steal these images? Well, clearly, covetousness. She coveted them. She stole the images. She stole her father's images because she coveted her father's images. Now, what do we know about covetousness? Well, first of all, we know the start of covetousness. Where does covetousness start? Covetousness starts in the heart. In the secret parts, in the secret recesses of the heart, that's where covetous start. Now, what do people typically covet? Hmm? Everything on Amazon, no. <laughs> what do people typically covet? Well, it says in Exodus 20, 17, Exodus 20, 17, the great Ten Commandments chapter, that, yeah, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Hmm? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's, a house, a wife, a servant, a pos- any possession. God sums it all up and just says, anything that is thy neighbor's, which is what you said, anything that's thy neighbor's. This is so important to God that he makes it one of the Ten Commandments. It's a commandment that's really not speaking about an act like killing and adultery and bearing false witness. It's speaking about a heart attitude. It's speaking about something that's going on in the heart. You say, I'm commanding you, don't let this into your heart. That's a covetousness, covet, one of the Ten Commandments. It's a condition of the heart. Now, because where does covetousness lead to? Stealing, what she did. Covetousness 
ends in stealing as it did for Rachel, as it did for who is the famous one in Israel's history that brought a lot of trouble? That's it, Achan. When he took what was called the accursed thing, and that angered God, not a good idea, says that angered God. It's not a good idea. First principle in life, don't make God mad. He made God mad. Achan described what happened. He told what happened in Joshua 7.20. Joshua 7.20, Achan said, here's what happened. Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned. I've sinned against the Lord, God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And he describes, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. So boy, he figured out how much it was weight. Anyway, then I coveted them. See, I saw them. I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hidden the earth in the midst of my tent, silver under it. See, the three words that Achan said, which turned out to be his last words, but the three words that he said, were, which were very telling, he said, I saw, coveted, took. Saw, coveted, took. Now, there are certain things in life that set a person up for covetousness. Making things a focus in life sets a person up for covetousness. Covetousness is to be focused on things. Luke 12, 13, Luke 12, 13. One of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. You feel the frustration? And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? You hear the Jewish response? And he said unto him, take he, he said unto them rather, he said unto them, sorry, it's very important what the scripture says. He said unto him, he said unto him, he said unto them. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain man, rich man, brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, thou fool, This night thy soul shall be inquired of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a very interesting passage here because here's two brothers and there's an inheritance. Two brothers and an inheritance. Boy, what a formula for a disaster. Two brothers and an inheritance. And one brother takes it all and doesn't bother to divide anything to his other brother. So the wronged brother comes to the Lord and asks him to speak to his brother. He can't get it out of him. And when that happened, the Lord said, oh, this is perfect. Oh, perfect. This is a perfect opportunity for me to warn about covetousness. So first he answers with the Jewish mannerism, says, what? He says, you know, am I, who made me a judge? What am I? What, what do I look like a judge? I look like a divider. What next? You know? And at that point, we can picture the Lord saying to those around him, look at this situation, folks. Look at how this, what has, what has happened here. What's happened here? You see this? A total break in the relationship between two brothers. 
Look at how this person here, the wrong one, is totally consumed with not receiving his part of the inheritance. His life has become, become, you gotta get, make this right. What caused everybody, what caused this break in relationship between these brothers, the Lord's teaching? What caused this? What caused this person here to be totally consumed, totally occupied, his whole life now is about getting this part of the inheritance. It's only an inheritance, you know? But it has caused so much destruction, everybody. Why? And he said unto them, take heed. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. See, the Lord is saying, take heed, watch out. You see what happened here? Watch out. Covetousness did all this. Covetousness caused all this destruction. Covetousness is a liar. Covetousness says, ooh, you know, you're not really living until you have a lot of possessions. And the more possessions you have, the more life you'll have. That's a lie. The Lord exposed that lie by saying, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Well, well, when you say something like that, you know, a man's life doesn't consist in the things he possesses, then the next question rises to the surface, so what does a man's life consist of? If life is not determined by the possessions, then what determines life? In a materialistic society that we live in, this is a very relevant question. If life is not reached, if life is not attained, if life is not fulfilled with possessions, how do you reach, fulfill, attain life? You know, some do say, look at all that I have. Look at my name on buildings. My life is my things. My life consists in the abundance of things that I possess. You know, I remember I used to drive through West L.A. I don't know if it's there now. When I was young, it was. Big building, Tishman. Everything was Tishman, you know. And I think to myself, boy, I want to be a Tishman. (laughs) If I were a Tishman. Anyway, so, so no, life does not consist in the abundance of things which you possess. And some would say, well, look at my family. My life is my family. My life consists of my family. That's the most important thing in life. You say, you know, my good family, that's living. I've got life. No, life consisteth not in a great family. Some would say, life consists of having a good time. Let the good times roll. Pleasures, fun. My life consists of enjoyments. You know, look at the rich man in the parable here. He says to himself, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. No, life does not consist in enjoyments and pleasure. Well, some would say, well, look what I've done in my life. Look at my accomplishments, the books I've written, people I've helped, hospitals I've built. My life consists in my accomplishments. No, life consists not in accomplishments. Well, then what, what does life consist of? If life is not found in possessions and family and pleasures and accomplishments, where's life found then? Life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it. Life is found in him. He said it. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life, he says. In John 1, 4, in him was life. In him was life. And John 14, 9, he says, yet a little while, the world seeth me no more, yet you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. So life is found in him. Life, for us, is a gift. It's a gift from him, from the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 5, 21, 
the Father raises up the dead, quickeneth them, makes them alive. Even so, the Son quickeneth, makes alive, whom he will. And gifts are always a matter of the will. John 6, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life. Gifts are given. Giveth life unto the world. 1 John 5, 11, 1 John 5, 11. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And the life, the life, it's in his son. He that hath a son has life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. So it's given, and then the next point is, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give the life, you give the gift of life. He wants to. It says in John 10, 10, a thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. They might have it more abundantly. The gift of life, how do we get that gift? How do we get that? By believing. Believing in, or what I like better, believing into the Lord Jesus Christ. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, he believeth into me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So how does that work? When we believe in or into, we come to know. We come to know. Life comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, as he said in John 17, 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The more we know the Lord Jesus Christ, the more life we experience. The more we live in him, then the more he lives his life in us. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I live because Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Life is not found in possessions and family and pleasures and accomplishments. Life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's a gift, and he wants to give. And once he has received, then the more the person knows him, the more life he'll experience. Life consisteth in the abundance of the personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Covetousness blocks a person from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a block. Because covetousness makes a person a servant of things. And it stops a person from knowing and serving God. See, in Luke 16, 13, Luke 16, 13, no man, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or he'll hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. Pharisees also who were covetousness heard all these things and they derided him. Covetousness is a disease of the heart. It's a plague of the heart. Mark 7, 18, he saith unto them, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man? It cannot defile him because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly goeth out into the draught purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man defileth the man. For within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, 
wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, defile the man. Covetousness chokes out God. It chokes out God. Luke 8, 5. Luke 8, 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sow, some fell by the wayside, trodden down. Bowels of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock. Soon as it was sprung up, withered away. It lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Others fell on good ground, sprang up, bare fruit, hundredfold. When he said these things, he cried, He that hath ears... Let him hear. And they explained in Luke 8, 14, Luke 8, 14, that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Covetousness blocks a person from heaven. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5.5, 5, Ephesians 5.5. 5. For this you know, no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater have any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. But covetousness is a common It's a common disease. It's a common plague of the heart. What do we do? What do we do when we wake up one day and say, oh, I've got the plague. (laughs) I've got the disease, covetousness in my heart. God gives very clear instructions. Colossians 3.5, remember Colossians Colossians 3.5, which it's Colossians, which is in crisis of our life. Crisis of our life. Colossians 3.5, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. See, mortify covetousness. How do you kill it? <laughs> How do you kill it? You starve it to death. What did you do? Mortify, you starve it to death. Don't feed it. Covetousness. How do you mortify? First Timothy 6 6. First Timothy 6 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall in temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after they've erred from the faith, pierced them through many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee! These things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. See, what's God's prescription? Mortify and flee. Starve it to death and run. Run, Joseph, run. Hmm? So that's the negative side. Positive side, prescription, the covetousness. Psalm 119.36. Psalm 119.36. Incline thy heart, incline my heart into or unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. God's remedy for covetousness is a healthy dose of the Word of God. Take it twice a day, you'll be fine. (laughs) That's God's cure for covetousness. The presence of God extinguishes, the thought of the presence of God extinguishes the itch, because covetousness is the itch. (laughs) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Hi, this is Tom Cantor with Friendship with God. The hymn says, See all the world, wide open doors inviting. Soldiers of Christ, arise and enter in. Christians, awake, your forces all uniting. Send forth the gospel, break the chains of sin. Are you ready for your life to be used by God to send forth the gospel and break the chains of sin all throughout the 85 million souls in Ethiopia? We have an opportunity of a lifetime, a fully paid position to train 104 church planners who will bring the gospel all over Ethiopia. For nearly 10 years, Scanabodies has been in Ethiopia with the largest business in our region. On our beautiful 12-acre Wi-Fi connected compound is our wonderful new Ethiopia Bible Institute. Dormitory, study halls, dining hall, director's house, 400-seat auditorium. They're all built. They're waiting just for you to step out of your comfort zone and say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Why not trust God and go? You won't regret it. Call today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051.